0: Long, um, but yeah, thank you for joining. Thank you I, for
1: inviting me. I
0: appreciate because honestly, I, I I said to no when I was before we had the grief go was mm-hmm. when I was speaking to Amber, I was telling her, oh, it's yeah, we were just talking. I was like, oh, I really wanna um like talk about like funerals and mm-hmm. you know like funeral plannings, but from someone who's actually in that, and you know, I had an idea what I was gonna do because I thought, okay, I need to. How am I gonna go out there and find someone? who's in this business. Mm-hmm. So I had an idea to go into, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, is it, I saw this, I don't know, it's part of the co-op? Mm-hmm. Co-op Fun- funeral, funeral Funeral care. care. So mm-hmm. as as I was gonna just go in and maybe just like, hi, you know, I'm da- da- da, I am do a podcast, would you be interested in talking, a bit mm-hmm. kind of old fashioned, would you be interested yeah. in talking about, um, you know, your day to day, like what it's like, you know, cause I think when it comes to funerals, like I have like a very, um, like one, well not, not like one, dimensional, not like one-dimensional. I know there's different types and there's different mm. ways people can be buried, but have this kind of narrow uh, way of thinking. That it's just like people wear black, go to a crematorium, a church service, and yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. that, that isn't, that's that's the I kind of see it in mm. a traditional sense. Mm. But obviously, it's mm. there's many yeah. different.
1: There's a whole world of different funeral options. Yeah, I mean, which I'm yeah. sure.
0: You help us going to um yeah. but just before that for everyone listening we have louise winter on the podcast funeral director author and c- can I add speaker well speaker as well um get ted talk which is good by the way um so yeah thank you for coming and like i said i wanted to when we spoke at a group call last i just said i wanted to get insight into you know funeral planning and just like what it's like for you not just in terms of you know, the day to day logistics but also like mentally, because I always feel like in that line of business you have to have a certain going over a certain mindset to mm-hmm. be dealing with it on a day to day. I mean it's, it's it's okay dealing on a one off penetration on a one off but on a day to day, I feel like that that must be pretty pretty tough. But yeah, we'll 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 get into that, um in due course. But yeah, just in terms of, you know, just talk to us about poetic endings and, you know, how that came about and yeah and how it's just been the day-to-day of what it's like really
1: well thank you first of all thank you so much for having me here today it's um it's an honor to be on your podcast so my name's louise i'm a funeral director and i'm also the founder of poetic endings Um, poetic endings is a modern funeral service we're Mm -hmm. based in forest hill in southeast london Um, and I've been working in the world of funerals for about six years now. So people often say to me, oh, you're a funeral director. Um, Is it a family business? Did you Mm. inherit? Are you from a long line of funeral directors? Absolutely not. That is not the situation I'm from at all. I I kind of wish I was, because... um, some of the funeral directors that have inherited multi-million pound businesses with all the infrastructure set Mm. up. I'm very envious of them. Um, I had to start from scratch. But no, I had never actually attended a funeral until I was 26. I had always been sheltered from them by my parents who I think didn't really think that children belonged at funerals. Um, They were trying to shelter me from all of the I, was, I think what they would consider negative emotions of having to turn up at a funeral. So I knew people who died. My, my neighbour died, the plumber died, various friends of my um, parents died. Um, but I never went to their funerals and my parents would sort of put on their dusty black suits from this cupboard and then disappear for the day and then come back smelling of whiskey later that night and I'd always wonder what happened and why couldn't I go and um for some of the, the people that died, I wanted to go but felt that I I couldn't for whatever reason so it was only when I was 26 that I went to my first ever funeral it was my granddad's funeral he'd been diagnosed with cancer um, he decided not to pursue treatment um and and he died um when I was 26. So that was my first experience of funeral directors, of a funeral service, of being at the crematorium. And he had a very traditionally northern funeral at a crematorium in um, in Chesterfield. And it was there that I started to think, what on earth is going on? What is this, this weird industry that only exists at the periphery of life itself? and who are these funeral directors and why does it cost so much and do we even need to have funerals anymore? Should we just get rid of them? Because it seemed to be quite expensive. Mm. Um, There was lots of standing around and being told where to go and what to do. And I think in total it lasted about half an hour and then we all went to the pub and there was lots of sausage rolls and beer and then we all went home. I could feel that what we were doing was important. I was just not sure that the way that we were doing it honored how important it was Mm. and also I could see how it was a complete template it was a conveyor belt of funerals and the funeral before my granddad's seemed to be the same and the funeral after seemed to be the same as well and I could see that there was a need to offer more options to take a different approach to funerals and that's how I ended up leaving my previous career to eventually become a funeral director and set up Poetic endings because in all of my explorations, I discovered that funerals are really important and that long term as well as short term, how we do them and how we approach them really matters.
0: Yeah, that's I mean, that's quite interesting because it's almost as if you during that time you thought, okay, why is it done this way? And would you say you had a how do really call it Some, some say like a Eureka moment? Actually, you know, I can actually do this, but maybe better or maybe differently?
1: Exactly, I think differently. Um, I can offer more options because it seemed that the funeral trade or industry, whatever you want to call it, had a particular sort of funeral director and there wasn't very much variation. At, at the time, it's changed quite a lot now, but at the time you had these funeral homes it all seem to be offering pretty much the same thing. Um, it was mostly run by men, um, and they offered packages. You sort of had the silver, platinum, or gold package kind of thing, and it all seemed to be based on how many limousines you wanted and how luxurious the coffin was considered to be. Um, so now I understand that there's much more of a spectrum of mm. funeral directors, and lots of different kinds of people have come into the industry in the last few years. So It's really, it's really changing, but back then it all felt quite templated and there wasn't much room for creativity or, or emotional t- intelligence either. I think mm. the funeral industry had become very ruled by the hardware, so coffins and cars and polishing the hearses, and not so much by the emotional approach that's needed and taking a more dynamic and holistic approach to actually how we how we are with people as funeral directors and, and what people need from everything from the moment they pick up the phone to us to to after the funeral,
0: yeah, and I think that's important what you said about um, people not having like a. you said a more of an emotional project, and the reason why I, I, I want to bring that up because I remember uh, during your TED talk you said, you know, sometimes there's often a lot of euphemisms used in terms of when we you know, or approach people with who've lost someone or dealing with people who've lost someone, or you know, like, the standard's sorry for your loss, which is not, it's, it's standard, but it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But I think you mentioned that you tried to make it a bit more personable, so like, it's not so much of a thing of, yes, you are sorry for that loss and that's, mm-hmm. it's genuine, but also not um, shying away from what's happened, Yeah, you know, and using certain words to describe what's happened, like literally owning it, so like, you know, this person has died death you know those sort of Mm -hmm. things and you know and I think to me personally anyway but I'm not in this industry so I'm guessing you might have more incentives but I feel like that's important because it is hard when you when you're dealing with people who are going through grief but I also feel it's important to um not like sugarcoat around stuff um yeah you have to be delicate you know and at times you don't know what to say to people but just like be I'll say just Treat them normally. Don't try yeah. to, you know, um, I like to put it like, don't try to just, yeah, like dance around it, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. But getting to that point of being more, taking more of an, a personal emotional approach, would you say you've always been like that or did that take some time to kind of, to be more personable to like your the clients and things like that?
1: I think I've always come or brought myself to funerals in a way where it's about looking at how we can approach it emotionally in a much more helpful way long term. I trained with a much more traditional funeral director than my approach now. Um, He was um, Irish Catholic and he taught me sort of a a very conventional way of doing funerals. Um, He had come from Ireland, where funerals are done in a very particular way, where the funeral director has quite a lot of control. They happen quite quickly. Um, And his way was very much, um, let me take care of that for you, (laughs) Mm. ma'am. Whereas I'm much more, what do you need? What is helpful for you right now? What do you want to get involved in? Are there parts of the process that you want to be engaged with? Um, And and how can I be what you need me to be, as opposed to telling people what they need and what they should be doing? Um, So I've always had that approach with funerals. Before I became a funeral director, I was a a celebrant. So that's someone who takes the service, usually from a a non-religious perspective, but there are sometimes minor elements of religion that come into it. And I would work with people to put together the actual service itself Okay. So that meant I worked with lots of different funeral directors who all had very different approaches. But it it always meant that I was very focused on the emotional aspect of the funeral, of how people were coping with um, their bereavement, um, the approach that they were taking to the funeral, um, hearing about the life of the person that has died. And that has definitely influenced my work as a funeral director. It's less about... Well, I, I often hear families and friends come to us and say, I called this funeral director, and the first thing they said to me was, oh, how many limbs do you want? Meaning, how many funeral limousines do you want? Mm-hmm. And that is such a small consideration out of the whole funeral arrangement. We would never lead with that question. We usually lead with, tell me about your mum. Tell me about what she was like. What did she do? What did she love? What is it like living without her? To get a sense of of the person, and that's where all the cues for the funeral and making it really personal and meaningful come from, not on um, how many limousines do you want to follow the hearse? Because that's just proving how money-driven the whole industry has been up to now.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. And then, because I think what you mentioned earlier, I feel like traditional funerals, again, this is my opinion, I'm not saying this is, Mm -hmm. I feel like they're a lot less, um, with the emotions more so about okay the business yes it is a business but yeah. it's a it's kind of like tan business and emotion together but not making too much about business but also yeah. having that balance of yes the right amount of emotions whereas when you feel traditional funerals it's more so just business it's not really emotion and yeah how can I say that yeah people have to well don't have to be buried but traditionally people are buried so that there, there is I would say it's uh, something that a, a business that's never going to Never gonna die out, like if that makes sense. But at the same time, I feel like it's still important to be personal and to you know to at least it's hard enough that you know dealing with people who've who's lo- who've lost their lives. But also that funeral is like a final sort of acknowledgement to say, look, this person has gone. This is how we're gonna give them that send off. So mm-hmm. it's it's important to get a rib, but Also important to you know not yeah be be personal be personable you have to yeah. you know um and i can imagine like that, that can be a, a bit hard you know um but it sounds like from what you've what you've said so far in terms of the business well your your business is is and I correct me if i'm wrong it's, it's less well not i won't say less but it's the balance of yes the emotions and also the business side of things but it's not letting the two like you know encroach on each other it's, just having that, that fine that Yeah, fine it's
1: trying to combine the two, and it, and it's really tricky sometimes, because ultimately I am running a business, and I have to run everything by a spreadsheet, and I have to make sure I pay taxes, and mm. that everyone is being paid properly, and I've got overheads, and rent, and rates, and bills, and all sorts of things yeah. to consider. It is a business. Funerals in the UK are not a charitable thing. They are profit-driven. Um, but putting that to one side, it's about how can we still serve people and serve them really well and offer them something that they're not getting elsewhere from more conventional funeral directors. And I and I, I don't think that we're the right funeral director for everyone. It's not about being the best funeral director. It's been, It's about being the best funeral director for a particular person. So some people might um, actually be better served going to one of the more corporate funeral directors and sort of if they know that they want a specific sort of funeral. Um, and if people are from a specific community, they might be best going to a funeral director that serves their community. Um, but in general, what we try to do is work on a really bespoke basis and give people what they need without them feeling like they're fitting into a corporate model or it's all really templated or a conveyor belt. Um, and that, and you said that traditionally people are buried. Now, it depends on... Um, your background, on your community, on your culture, because actually not everyone um, is buried. Um, and, and not all communities as well have for-profit funeral directors. There are some communities that look after their own funerals and have um, specific things and systems set up in place to yeah. handle their own funerals. Um, Islamic funerals, for example, are often um, handled through the mosque. Yeah. Um, so there are lots of sort of different things going on within the funeral industry as a whole. Um, and I think when I first came into it, I saw the very sort of top surface level, the the corporate funeral directors and the funeral directors on the high street, but actually there's some really interesting stuff going on um behind the scenes yeah. and that you might never get to know about unless you're from a specific community.
0: Yeah, like speak, just speaking on, on terms of funerals from different, well, people from different backgrounds, because um, I know, f- um, based, because I have some friends um uh, you know, who are Muslim and they kinda told me about the process. It's usually like a twenty four hour process. Yeah. Um have you ever had um someone of a Islam um what's the word I'm looking for? Someone someone who who was Muslim and wanted to have that twenty four hour have you No, ever dealt with, dealt no. With that?
1: so um, the Islamic community have their own funeral directors mm-hmm. and there are specific processes that they have to go through. I would find it really hard to get the paperwork within 24 hours. Right, yeah. Um, and particularly with the Islamic community, because they tend to either go through the mosque or through their specific funeral directors, they're very used to doing incredibly t- quick turnarounds, having to get the grave dug um, very quickly, um, And there's often ritual washing and dressing and shrouding as well. Um, And in that particular community, it's men for men and women for women, um, taking care of of the person. So um, I I find it really interesting, but I've never been asked to be involved um, because it just wouldn't be wouldn't be appropriate oh, okay. um, yeah, I I've been to some really interesting workshops run by some um, women from the Islamic community who wanted to teach um, younger people about the rituals and why all of those rituals are in place because what they were finding is um, their parents were getting to the age where they were dying and they didn't know the traditions and they wanted to honor them with a you know, doing the washing and the dressing and everything and, and having the right shrouds, but they'd never had to do it before. Um so really fascinating to go to the workshops and find out why there are particular customs in place, mm-hmm. how things are done, why it's done so quickly. Um but no, I, I have I have never asked to be involved.
0: Yeah, I mean I think yeah like you're right. I think every every like culture region will have different um sort of like I would say what practices, um, what not standard practices? Well,
1: rituals, traditions, expectations mm. as well. Often people get their cues for what they're going to do for the funeral from what has been done before or what's meaningful to them or yeah. it might be, it's often things that they experienced during childhood because death doesn't happen that often. It's happens to us one, <laughs> one day in our whole lifetime. So it's not something that we are experiencing Every single day, so often we're dealing with our family's expectations. We're having to deal with um, elderly people whose mm-hmm. needs need to be met as well, and might have more traditional ideas. Um, and I think that's why funerals can be quite conservative in general.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's important. important. But I wanted to just um, kind of circle back in the, and just ask in terms of a yes, you said every every funeral will be different. It depending on what that particular client wants and but like what is I won't say a general day to day but what is like a I would say from start to finish the process of planning a uh, planning a funeral, what is that what, in, what what does that entail and usually how how long does that usually take you? Well you and your team?
1: So it all depends on the circumstances. So if someone has died very suddenly and quickly, um Unexpectedly, the coroner may be involved and may have to investigate. So you can start thinking about the funeral, but often it can take a little while for the post-mortem to take place and the coroner to say, OK, you can go ahead and arrange the funeral now. So that can delay things slightly. Um, but if it's an expected death, um, we tend to say about two to three weeks It will depend on how quickly the paperwork is issued. Um, It will also depend on the availability at the cemetery or the crematorium and the family's expectations as well because Mm -hmm. some people want to have it much sooner than that. Um, They might have um, particular religious beliefs that mean that they would rather have it much quicker for very specific reasons. Or, and sometimes it's even longer than that. Some, Some communities can wait months to have the funeral. So usually people will come and see us in our funeral home. Sometimes we go to see them at home if they're more comfortable with that. And we'll spend a bit of time getting to know them, finding out about the person, finding out about the kind of funeral they're thinking they want to have, what's important to them. It might be important that hundreds of people attend and it's a big celebration of life um, and it's non-religious. or it might be important that it's just a handful of people that get to say goodbye in a way that's meaningful to them and they just want to play a favorite piece of music and that's it so we spend some time figuring that out with the family and then there are various things we things we need to do to make the funeral happen that's coordinating the paperwork arranging to bring the person into our care preparing them for their funeral so that might involve washing and dressing them Um, it might involve some other things as well depending on how they are and if the family want to come and see them um, the family might come to see them at the funeral home Um, we have to order coffins arrange all the cars um, liaise with celebrants ministers all the different people that are involved in the service so there's actually a huge amount of work that goes into it yeah it's a lot of planning a lot of administ- administrative tasks to do and a lot of logistical things of so just making sure that people are in the right place at the right time
0: yeah that's it's, it's kind of what well, I won't say it's similar to planning a, a wedding but as in in terms of is well I don't, I don't know if it can be on that scale but it's kind of similar you know with funerals it's almost yeah it's a it's a it's a project you have to coordinate from start to finish. And like I said before, a lot of that time, it can be quite hard having to, well, I guess for the, the people planning it, you know, and the families, it can be quite hard to ensure that, you know, everything's done because at that moment, and you're also grieving and then yeah. you're ha- having to plan. Um, yeah.
1: yeah, it's, it is very different to planning a wedding. In I, that I didn't make that <laughs> comparison,
0: by the way. I just <laughs> before people think, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not saying it's, it's like, but I just feel yeah. like,
1: well, like it is in a, in a way. It's a a life milestone yeah. where lots of people come together, where families come together to acknowledge a moment. Um, but there is the added complication of grief, and I have often weddings can be planned over a year, a year and a half. Yeah, yeah. Funerals, we have a couple of weeks to make all yeah, these decisions, and the decisions that we don't want to make. Having a funeral director say. You've got which coffin would you like, and do you want to come and see the person? And which um, do you want them to be dressed in a particular outfit? All, all of these decisions, which we have to make really quickly, whilst our brains aren't working very well because we are in the midst of grief.
0: Yeah, that's it's tough. I remember, um, on my mum's funeral, um, as in myself, I wasn't too involved in the planning, it was more so like my other members of the family, but I do remember like. Um, my aunt saying, we have to sort this out. Because I think something about the longer we leave it, it's not good for the body. I don't know, I maybe it's different. She was bred in Andrew, so it might be different. I don't know, if is that this um, case with you as well, as in you can't leave a body for too long? I don't know how. It all,
1: it all depends on the circumstances. Um, so after someone has died, changes will take place. We keep people cool because that stops the rate of change, it Mm -hmm. stops nature taking its course. Um, But we can't leave someone indefinitely. They would become a public health hazard. Um, We have to dispose of a person after they have died, I'm using the legal terminology there, Mm. um, to stop them from becoming a health hazard. So um, it all depends on the exact situation and there are things that we can do to preserve people so that they can um, we can delay the funeral mm-hmm. um, but we tend to recommend sort of no more than a month unless someone has been embalmed um, and then they can um, they can stay for longer
0: Oh so this is be- before the embalming process
1: um, not everyone is embalmed oh not okay. everyone is embalmed yeah
0: oh right, okay see yeah. that see that, I was thinking that was I guess at the time I was just I wasn't really aware of what. Is what is for what's for sure and what is sort of optional? Because yeah. I remember when with my my mum's funeral, uh, my aunt, you know, went to the mortuary to, to help with the embalming. Yeah. So I thought that's a, that's a standard thing that has to be done for every single yeah. every single person who. No,
1: not at all. No, so there's no legal requirement to embalm people unless they're being um, repatriated. So if they're going to a different country for their funeral um then they have to be embalmed because they are traveling but apart from that it's not necessary so we don't we hardly ever embalm we keep people cool um occasionally we do in specific circumstances it's usually to do with someone's condition or um if the family want to wait quite a long time for the funeral we might recommend it but in general there are other things we can do um, mostly keeping people cool Mm. um which um mean that we don't need to embalm um but it all depends on expectations. For some um, communities, it's quite standard to have people yeah. embalmed. Um, and your aunt probably wasn't involved in the embalming itself. She probably came to help with the washing and dressing, maybe, and doing makeup and hair. Yeah,
0: I'm not. Yeah, I think, I think. Yeah, prob- probably. I, f- I think yeah. so. I'm not too. I'm not too. Um, sure and I remember I just met just like I remember even with that I, I said to, I think in the morning of the um funeral I said to my aunt, oh I'll come and help mm-hmm. she's like listen just don't mm-hmm. don't like you know I think in, in in hindsight I think she was trying to just you know protect me um but we still eventually went to go see the body anyway after yeah. she had been dressed up okay but, so you did go and see your mom yeah so. but I do yeah. remember it being a, a very yeah, I mean, t- it's not something I want to do again. Let's just, let's just put it that yeah. way, like, because it was. Um, uh, I mean, it, it was it's hard the word for me anyway. It was very like scary, and I don't I don't mean to you know for anyone listening or watching to sound triggering, but yeah, seeing a, a, a yeah seeing a dead body is not the easiest. Which yeah. I'm sure you can, you probably know, you know. And um, which kind which kind leads me to what I mentioned earlier, like. Cause, like, even that moment was hard. Like, I know I, c- I can't definitely do that on a, on a regular basis. Like, like yeah. cause the mental strength I had to just psych myself up to. Like, I mean, I didn't have to. I didn't have to go see her. But I just felt, mm-hmm. in a way, it's just kind of something I I just want to do. Just so, mm-hmm. you know, f- for quote unquote closure. Which eventually that w- wasn't closure. But it's just something I felt I had to do. Just you know, see her one last time. Yeah. Cause I don't want to think. Oh, if I don't see her, am i am not going to regret? So I don't. I didn't want to have that. So rather just do it, yeah, it may be hard, but I just do, at least I know I've done it, so eventually, mm-hmm. in the long run, I know I've, I've, I've done it, you know? But mentally, to prepare yourself for that is not easy. Yeah. Like, how do you do that on a, on a regular basis? Like, it must be tough.
1: Well, first to say that coming to see the person after they've died isn't for everyone. Yeah. Some people find it helpful and want to do it. Other people decide that they don't want to have that experience, that they will remember them as they were. And um, we help, everyone really we, and we can we help people figure out whether it's the right thing um for them to do um and the other thing to say on, on how i sort of have emotional res- resilience in order to be able to do this all the time um i, I am not i didn't know the per- most of the time i didn't know the person that has died so i've got sort of level of detachment from it it's not like i'm going through a personal bereavement every single single day and there are situations that affect me more than other situations and the way people are grieving i can sometimes find quite personally triggering same with my team we um we're very open team we're mostly women with a couple of men in the background Um, but we have a very open culture of talking about how we feel and what's affecting us and my team know what triggers me I know what triggers them um, and we support each other through it so there are particular scenarios that we know that we will find difficult and we can give each other additional support so that's one way of, of dealing mm, with it um, most of us are also in therapy we have to have a space to be able to put this yeah. I think we have to be quite boundary with the work that we do as well there are definitely I get to the point where I just have to go okay I have to stop work now, I have to put my phone away, switch it off, and go and do something fun to counteract the intensity of the work um, that I'm doing. And I think one of the issues with the industry, the funeral industry as a whole, and I use the word industry because I really think that's what it is, um, is that there are no support systems in place for the often quite brutal things that funeral teams have to go through. And when you go through difficult things you can either develop develop vicarious traumatization or vicarious resilience so traumatization is if you haven't got an outlet for you know you've got no one supporting you you haven't got anywhere to take this and i think that's why um a lot of the funeral industry drink quite heavily and there's a lot of really crass humor and really kind of of bad behavior that's vicarious traumatization vicarious resilience is being able to live sort of a more whole fulfilling life because of what you experience through other people and dealing with it Mm. in, in the right way. So we try to aim for vicarious resilience rather than traumatization. Um, but sometimes the job is really, really hard and it can be uh, some days it's really rewarding and really fulfilling and really incredible. Sometimes it's really draining and, and really difficult. Um, and we have to have stuff in place to support us or, Whatever the day is, yeah. However but, the day goes.
0: But when you say there's not enough support, do you mean for um, people in the so people in, people the, industry, in the industry? People,
1: industry, yeah. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. But I know you mentioned, and it may not be a standard for every single uh, um, business. But you have an open culture, you know, of talking. Yeah. Everyone's in therapy. Um, so I guess, would you say more people should have that approach in terms, would, would that count as the support needed or is it is it more than that, would you say?
1: I think it's a whole cultural shift that needs to take place um, within funerals um, of being more open and not being so hard and being open to talking about how we feel. And I think that's why the industry has concentrated heavily on polishing cars and, <laughs> and pushing limousines because faced with this, weird thing called death and and often the quite brutal nature of dealing with the dead, it's much easier to concentrate on the hardware of funerals, of polishing the cars and the shiny shiny vehicles and top hats and this is how we do things and the tradition of it. Um, Prancing around in front of the hearse, it's actually called paging the hearse, but there's a lot of sort of pomp around the funeral which I think is overcompensating for this just lack of being able to actually deal with what's going Mm. on um and if we did have a more open culture of people talking ha- about how they fe- feel and having support systems in place i think it would be a much nicer industry to work in and people would feel more supported in their roles
0: but it's also that's kind of because like, even that like, grief alone like, i'm sure you would not. Like it's it's very that's how it is but it's not popular we don't talk about it, so, it being in the industry so I, I feel like i'm not surprised that that is the mm-hmm. case because you know it's hard, like, but I guess being in the business, you can't really. It'll be hard, not you have to kind of deal with it, because that's your you're in that you're in the, you're in the yeah. industry, you're in that business of things. So, you know, I I would say, it's almost you can't even bury your head in the sand as 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 compared to someone who isn't in that and he's just dealing with grief. But, you know, you're if you're doing this for a living, and not not you, but in general, if you're, if someone's doing this for a living, then, I guess it's you know, I, I know it's not easy, but I guess it's, it's finding ways to actually, okay, I need to be more transparent, open. Because yeah. like, I feel like transparency and vulnerability does does go a long way in terms of dealing with grief. Yeah. And I don't know if, if you would say that's the same in terms of being in the business and just, you know, dealing with people. Because like I said, you mentioned um, in your talk, like it's about not dancing around yeah. what's happened, but... Just yeah. being direct with it, but you, yeah still you know um building some form of rapport with the person you you know you can't just be like you know heartless and yeah. but you still understand that this person has gone through this so you by you being direct with it, it's not you being um that you're not sympathizing with them you are but you it's you're you're not dancing around it and that helps them maybe that'll help them to process it um yeah. you we know, we' just
1: we try to be much more straightforward with the people that we're working with hmm. um Families would often come to us and say, people are being so weird, our neighbors are avoiding us, they just don't know what to say. We saw someone cross the road the other day when they saw us coming down the street. Um, And we try to be much more straightforward and just have an honest conversation with them. So it can can be quite awkward at the beginning because if I sit down with a family to arrange a funeral, I don't know how they're dealing with it. They will all have their own individual grief and that might look very different for each different person. but just being able to be a bit more straightforward and say I'm so sorry to hear that your father has died in such tragic circumstances. Do you, I'd love to know more about him. What was his life like? Tell me all about him. Just creates a much more honest open yeah. space where it just says everything is welcome here. And whether that's Because some people, they can't talk about the person that's died, they go completely blank. They're in such shock and trauma that actually when I ask that question, they can't always answer it. I actually can't remember anything about my dad, they might say, Um, because that's just what happens when when you're grieving, your brain works very differently. Um, But for some people, it opens up more of a conversation and just I think everything in life is much better if we're more honest and straightforward. Yeah. And the first thing is being honest with ourselves and not trying to hide from ourselves about how we're feeling or look for ways to escape. I think the more direct we are with ourselves, the more open we can be with other people.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think that that's that's my whole stance with um grief and for me personally anyway. And I felt I the best way I, I dealt with it was just really being vulnerable with myself and understanding look, I'm Going through something, it's not nice. It's not. I don't know how long I'm gonna feel like this, yeah. but I know yeah. right now I'm, I'm gonna feel what I need to feel, and yeah. and through that, and, and I've always kind of mentioned this, um, time and time again. I think through that's helped me to have conversations so naturally, yeah. and talk to people so naturally because, yeah. you know, I've now, I would say, um, obviously I i, I never get I will never I don't think we ever get over grief, but I've I've made I've, I'm at a place where I'm at some peace with it, so. I can be confident enough to have conversation that, and I not feel triggered. But it's not always yeah. it hasn't always been like that. Of course, yeah. over time you 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 know you develop with your grief and grow with it. You know, um, so it's definitely not um, easy. But even even with that though, and I, and I and I even though I am able to freely discuss it, I feel like it's very much different from being able to yes going through grief, get into a business of just. Funeral planner, and the reason why I said that because, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think it's enough to just have gone through grief, and then right, I'm gonna be, a, I'm gonna be a funeral planner. So, mm-hmm. like with, like with most professions, was there like a, some sort of course you had to do in order to become a funeral director, or, I know you said you started from the, from the ground up, but mm-hmm. did you have to have some form of, I don't know, any certifications or something like that, or any, some sort of training.
1: So I've done quite a lot of training, different types of training as well, Mm. but the UK, well, well, Scotland's slightly different now, but um, definitely in England and Wales, um, the industry is unregulated. So you don't actually have to have any formal training to be a funeral director. Okay. There are lots of different approaches you can take as well, so I, started off by working for someone who then trained me. I had really intense time, I was just thrown in the deep end. but I've done lots of different courses. I've gone to work for lots of different funeral directors to learn their different approaches. Um, there are more formal qualifications. Um, I I was doing one of the more formal qual- qualifications and I withdrew on ethical grounds because of what they were teaching, being very out of date and actually quite offensive. I think, I'm not gonna mention who it is, but are, are I think you, they were- Are you have, able to go
0: into, not mention who it is, but into what it was that were teaching, or is that?
1: Um, they were teaching incorrect, out of date, Um, information about how to take care of people who had died with HIV. Um, They hadn't updated their training materials pretty much since the 1980s. Um, And I was absolutely horrified by the stuff that was in the handbook. And that is why I withdrew from the course, because it's now, at the time it was 2020, um, and there was absolutely no excuse. Um, Oh, 2020? It was in 2020. I was thinking it
0: was like a couple of years ago (laughs) or something like that.
1: Yeah, oh, wow. they, they hadn't updated their training manual so it was really out of date and offensive um, and I wasn't satisfied with their response to me so um, I withdrew and my whole team were doing that particular course and we all withdrew because yeah. we were so horrified um, because I don't know it's just this thing of funerals don't get talked about they we hopefully don't have to arrange them very often so A lot of stuff has happened, which is just... If it was any other profession or industry, it would be completely unacceptable. But for some reason, funerals are just way behind the times and all sorts of stuff goes on, which just isn't acceptable. And I I hope now that that funerals are being dragged into 2022, but very slowly and very reluctantly. Um, The Competition and Markets Authority looked into the funeral profession, I'm using profession now, but, well industry, um, because the cost of funerals was very high um, and they were very suspicious about what was going on and they published their report which said that funeral directors were not behaving very transparently around cost and all funeral directors are supposed to put their prices on their win... Printed on their window, in their branches, and also on their website, and it's really horrifying the number of funeral directors that are still not doing that, because it's just this sort of thing that no one really engages with, no one talks about, and if it was anything else, they wouldn't get away with it. But for some reason, funerals, yeah, all sorts of stuff goes on, yeah which really shouldn't happen.
0: That's interesting because, and it's probably because, like you say, it doesn't happen so often, so. It- People have, which they shouldn't have, a bit of leeway. Well, not leeway, that's the wrong word to use. More opportunity to exploit certain things and maybe do certain things that are a bit maybe not ethical, but because it's not really regulated, yeah. then they can um, get away with it. But even just speaking of um, costs, because in, in my head, I could be wrong, this was probably a while ago. In my head, the average cost of funeral was like six grand. Mm-hmm. I don't know how accurate that is. That that can vary um, which is which is still it's still a, a lot of money, but I mean is yeah what here what is the average the average cost?
1: So it's really difficult to say because it depends on where you are. So in Southeast London, where I'm based, the average cost of a poetic ending funeral is four and a half thousand pounds. Okay, that would be for a cremation though. Oh, wow, cremation. If it was going to be a burial it could be fifteen thousand pounds it all depends on the so area was, that you're mark in six grand,
0: six grand.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it depends on um so burial tends to be more expensive particularly in london because we're running out of burial space so mm. the councils charge a lot of money for a burial and if you're not resident in that particular borough where you're being buried you can be liable for out of area fees oh, wow. which can be triple so um so often, if someone comes to us in Forest Hill to be buried locally, the bill could be £15,000, and that is not going towards the funeral itself. Most of that cost is going towards actually buying the plot
0: really? and putting
1: someone in it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that would, be, that would be because someone was out of area. If they were in the area, it would be um, slightly less. Um, but but even for example, if you are a resident of the borough of Lewisham, but you're right on the edge of Lewisham, where yeah. Lewisham goes into Southwark, and you want to be buried at the um, in the cemetery, which is you know a street away from you, but is a different borough, you will still be liable for out of area mm. fees. So that's what makes funerals really expensive.
0: So out of oh out of sorry, out of realize what you said, out of boroughs in. Okay, I know what you mean. So it would be higher if you're out of borough, Yeah. but in in the yeah. borough, that's because ma- yeah. I'm thinking that fifteen fifteen thousand odd pounds is the casket, maybe flowers, um, car, um, yeah. horse. That yeah, horses, different things. Yeah, like
1: yeah. Yeah. So so it could in, that could all be included in the fifteen thousand pounds. It just depends on the area where you're being buried and the very specific circumstances that you're in. Often it can get really complex. Who's purchasing the grave? Each council has a different policy over whether the the purchaser of the grave needs to be resident as well as the person that's died. So it can get really complex, but burials are expensive, particularly in in South London where we are. Um, if you want to be buried in Highgate Cemetery in North London, which is one of the, the big seven cemeteries in London, amazing historic cemetery, um, you would be looking at about 22,000, 25,000, just to buy the grave alone, um, burial rights. N- that wouldn't include any of the other things that, that you needed. So funerals can be really expensive. I don't want people to listen to this and then think that they need to find 15,000 pounds yeah, for yeah, a funeral. Yeah, of course, yeah. So, yeah, so, <laughs> um, but, yeah. But I think people need to be prepared that if you decide to be buried in south east london if you decide to have horses if you want a casket if you want to have lots of cars it's going to be really expensive yeah
0: so just for people listening what it can be <laughs> up to 15000 that's not the standard it can be yeah I don't yeah because yeah it doesn't
1: have to be that yeah and there are ways of bringing the cost down um so you don't you don't have to have all of those things but some yeah. people want to have them so
0: yeah it's i guess it just depends on the send off you want to give to you know, the person and things like that. Because, yeah, I mean, damn, that's... I don't know where I got six thousand from. Maybe I was misinformed, I don't know. So I was, I, and again, I'm not saying six fives isn't a lot, but, but when you compare it to, you know, other things you might have to plan, mean, it's, it's considerably small for a, a funeral, but I guess, again, it varies, you know, because um, even when I just look back at my mom's funeral, I don't know how much the cost was, but if she was buried. she wasn't buried here. But we had different things, so we, of course we have the funeral. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, different cultures have different things. So we didn't. Ass- we had a funeral. It wasn't necessarily a traditional thing where we everyone had to wear black. It was more of a thing. We had the funeral. Then afterwards, like a celebration of life, where you know we're just yes, we've we've buried her, but this is this is time now to remember her. Yeah. Really celebrate, you know, and I think nowadays that's that's becoming a lot more, lot more common. Um, which is good because, as you said, mentioned before, I feel like it's good that, you know, the industry is more modernised, you know, um, and there are more way of a, this open culture of talking and celebrating. Because, and, again, when people think of funerals, it's just like, and even just grieving some it's just, like I said, like, all I think of is black suits, black horse, church, brown coffin, and then that's that. But, it's, of course, it's more than that, you know. Yeah. it's It's... And it is morbid, even um, having these conversations. I, I would say it's been morbid today. So I think it's been quite insightful. Um, I'm sure those watching listening, will probably find it quite insightful as well. But I think the important thing is not to, it doesn't have to be morbid. Mm-hmm. And it being morbid, maybe it comes from a thing of people, you know, not getting with the times, you know, but it seems like with better endings, you a lot more have a modern approach, Would you, would you say? In,
1: Yeah, and we we don't want to come across as morbid or macabre or, you know, horrifying. We are, um, we have a really beautiful funeral home. People are usually quite shocked to discover it's a funeral home. It looks more like an interior design kind of place or Mm -hmm. some sort of beautiful florist shop or something. Um, But it's very open and it's very light and it's not decorated at all like a funeral home or laid out like a funeral home. Um... And people often come in and just breathe a huge sigh of relief and go, oh, thank goodness. No dusty flowers in the window, no kind of creepy neck curtains hiding something behind them. (laughs) It's just supposed to be... It's a part of life. It's going to happen. So the way we deal with it doesn't have to be this kind of slightly creepy, macabre, faux-Victoriana kind of way of dealing with it. Um, We don't always dress in black either. I have a lot of black in my wardrobe because... Mm. I like wearing a lot of black, but...
0: Yeah, so um, black's my favourite (laughs) colour. So
1: maybe you could become a funeral director. (laughs) Um, But that's not right for everyone. And We sometimes have a more relaxed um, approach, depending on what the family and sometimes friends, because it's Mm. not always family arranging a funeral, need from us. We have a really good website that's got all the options on it. We're really transparent about how much everything costs. Um, We just try to make the process much more part of life rather than this sort of weird because it is weird arranging a funeral is weird talking about someone's ashes for example it's always weird people come into the funeral home to collect ashes that's a weird thing to do to come and collect your person in a box Um, But what we try to do is make it more straightforward and not creepy and alienating and macabre and and horrible. We're not sheltering people from this sort of weird world of the dead, like I think some funeral directors um, have done previously. We are saying, this is happening, so let's be open and honest about it and engage with it as much as you feel comfortable.
0: Yeah, and I think that, I think that's good, you know, because especially as we as we move forward with the times, and well, not not so much times, but I think it's just a good approach moving forward because, again, when we think of grieving these topics, they they are, you know, they're not popular conversation we have around a dinner table, or, you know, just anywhere, you know. But I feel like it's important to understand that yeah, these things are going to happen, yeah. and that's not me being moved, but it's it's going yeah, to happen, you know. Yeah. And and you again, yeah. you don't have to, but you may want to plan a few have a funeral for that person. Mm-hmm. You know, so it is good to have it a bit more like tailored to your needs and people are are speaking to you like a a person, not just a, oh like a, another another I don't know, another um what's the word? Another business deal, sort mm-hmm. of thing, you know. Again, as I said before, of course, you know, I don't know, you know, I know there's always a fine line between the two, the emotion and the business, yeah. but you know, if you can have that in check, which it seems like yeah. The end is you, you guys are doing that so yeah I think that, that's just the the way to go I, I feel you know um, but just on a last note um, thank you for coming on I appreciate it. I've definitely found this insightful um, and I'm, well I'm glad that I asked the question about the average funeral because I, I generally all this time I thought yeah at funerals just it's not that but now that you've broken down obviously dependent obviously area and things like that so i think that's quite um good to know because with with these conversations i feel like money is always a sensitive thing yeah money and death so it's 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 very good to so i thank you for that yeah, transparency yeah. um and, and
1: people can be really shocked by how expensive funerals yeah can i'm be. i'm sure i thought
0: you were going to yeah. when i said 6 months, i thought you were going to say at least okay maybe 9
1: yeah
0: but 15
1: that is the extreme And, and, up and to bear 15. in mind I'm um, a highly bespoke funeral director Working in south east London Which is particularly expensive for burials That pushes the prices yeah. up But it, it can be a lot lower than that um, And you don't have to have a funeral at all If that's not suitable yeah. That's one way of reducing the cost Just don't have a funeral um, But for people that do want to acknowledge it There are ways of making it more affordable But even even then It is still expensive
0: yeah, so from what I gather, it just depends on the area, isn't it, where, where you're, where you're uh, yeah. based?
1: Yeah, yeah, on um, the area and the choices that you make and what's important to you.
0: Yeah, and obviously in the send-off, the person wants yeah. to have yeah. for the um, person who died, so yeah, that that makes sense. Um, but yeah, thank you once again, and as we always do on, on a podcast, um, is there anything you want to plug or let people know about, um, whether it's the business or just in general?
1: Well, I could possibly mention um, the book. I wrote a book with my colleague, Anna Lyons. She's an end-of-life doula, so she supports people who are um, approaching the end of their lives and their families and friends. Um, And we came together to write a book called We All Know How This Ends. It was published by Bloomsbury last year. And it's pretty much a handbook or a manual of everything you might go through when looking at the end of life. So whether it's grief, funerals, um, mortality, illness, Mm. it's all in there. It's designed to dip in and dip out of. Definitely, don't read it all in one go.
0: Nice, that's that's good. So where that can be, where can that be? People find that
1: Um, Amazon, favorite bookshops. It's also on Audible as an audio book.
0: Nice, nice. It
1: should be be available everywhere.
0: So you've done a lot in the um, grief, in the grief space.
1: I've been quite busy over the last few years. (laughs)
0: That's why you've been modest (laughs) about it. Okay, that's 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 cool. Um. Yeah. So thank you guys for listening and watching, it's been a pleasure having this conversation. Um, As I said, I was going to go into co-op and just randomly ask, would you, um, but but I'm glad that we um, had a chance to speak. Um, You know, it's very insightful, and it's just to kind of understand, you know, like, funerals aren't aren't just this sort of robotic sort of thing, you know, as you said, with poetic endings, it's it's modernized, you have an open culture approach of speaking about things. So I think, I really hope that continues, um, and I really hope, other businesses do adopt that same approach. Obviously it may not happen all at once or you know, I know it's very idealistic, but if, you know, people can you know, more people can see what the work you're doing, then hopefully that, that change can start, you know, in, in small um, um, increments.
1: And actually there is one thing to add, it's that funerals need to serve. Yes, they're expensive and they're upsetting and but they're also a way of honouring the person and yeah. helping us to live the rest of our lives without that person. So they need to serve us. So regardless of what funeral director you choose or whatever kind of funeral you have, it needs to feel like it's helping you, it's supporting you um, through grief and loss.
0: Yeah, most definitely. Um, So yeah, where can people find you in terms of uh, the website, Instagram? Um, social media so
1: um, our website is poetic-endings.com um, we're on Instagram and Twitter um, and if you want to follow um, the initiative I have to do with the book it's called Life, Death, Whatever that's at lifedeathwhatever.com and is also on Instagram and Twitter
0: nice, nice well you you heard that right um, as always thank you guys for listening watching find us and think I'll put underscore on the YouTube Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Um, yeah, it's been a been a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.